welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spooky movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hey there, this is Katie. And hi there, I am Brittany. And coming at you live, this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. Yes, G-G-P. You like that? Like like this radio? Come on, guys and gals, pals. Yes, pals. Uh, Grindhouse gals and pals. Yas. How, how are you, Brittany? I I am. I'm good. Um, it's it's been crazy. I feel bad because I always say that, but I'm like, yeah, most of the time it's it's pretty crazy. Same here. Uh, I'm really excited about this week's movie, though. But before we jump into that, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Work has been crazy. Our movie this week is The Vast of Night, um, yes. which is a very Americana kind of film. It's very American, yes. very classic. It's set in the 50s, which I think is very good for the week of the 4th of July. Um, uh, I don't have any housekeeping, um, but which is weird because usually we say something stupid, but I do think I took anything incorrect out this week. <laughs> Yay! Um, but I actually did watch a lot of movies this weekend. Did you watch anything good? I did. I did. I didn't know if you wanted to go first or if you want me to go first. You can go. You go. Yeah. You go, girl. Um, you go, Gwen so Coco. So it's real. It's really. It's really funny. Um, so we. <laughs> I had a very big uh, juxtaposition um, from what I watched. So the first thing I watched was actually Luca, which is the Pixar film that's now on Disney Plus. I watched. Oh, you haven't watched it yet. It is so cute. Like, it's very middle ground Pixar for me. Like, it's not the best of Pixar, but it's definitely not their worst. I really like the story. I did cry, um, which is not uncommon for me during Pixar movies. But I really, I really loved it. It's just more simplistic. It's more slice of life than some of the other Pixar movies. But I think the most glowing review came from my 10-year-old nephew. He, he, the movie ended. He goes, wow, I wish there was a part two because I want to see more. So I'm like. There you go, buddy. Yeah. Like, that's that's a glowing review. So. Uh, that's good. Yes. Did you watch now, anything else? To yes. To just position that, um, I actually watched a documentary called Tower, uh, which was on the University of Texas uh, Tower shooting um, that happened oh, yeah. in the 1960s. It is... A phenomenal documentary. Uh, parts of it, they like took the actors and they animated them. Like I think it was called Roboscope that they animated the actors. So like the events are animated. Um, it's still very hard hitting. Um, and then a juxtaposition that later in the movie with the actual people who lived through it. Um, so it was it was it it was the, it was sad, but I think it's really necessary because as we talk about. Mass shootings weren't common back in the 1960s. This idea of mass shootings are a lot more relevant in the age that we grew up in, in our lifetime. And so people didn't really know how to heal from the trauma of that because it wasn't something that happened. Um, Well, people just didn't deal with PTSD back then. 
Mm-mm. Like they didn't even like no. they would just call it shell shock and just be like, get over it. Like literally, yeah. it was not a good thing. <laughs> Which is why a lot of people it's... had a lot of mental health issues in the seventies and eighties and nineties even. Yeah, and that's what brings me to the second documentary I watched, which probably wasn't very smart. I'm sorry, Grindhouse uh, listeners, I'm getting a little depressing talking about these things. Um, I also watched 77 Minutes, um, which was a documentary about the San Ysidro um, McDonald's massacre that actually happened in 1984. Yeah, yeah, and that one, I will give warning. So um, that documentary was more kind of describing how a lot of people within that community um it took it took the police officers from the time the first person was shot 77 minutes to get to the mcdonald's and then there was like literally jeez like there was like multiple police officers surrounding the mcdonald's and one shooter what did you say what's not right oh yeah, oh, so my husband, sorry guys, my husband's actually being <laughs> my ears and, and correcting me. Um, yeah, he said it It took them 77 minutes to kill him, is what Taylor said. 77 oh. minutes to take out the, the shooter. Um, what I did like about the movie is that, or the documentary, was that they didn't name the shooter one time by name, because oh. the director felt his name should be lost to time, and the, yeah. the victim should be memorized. The only thing about this one I'm really going to warn about. Um, so they actually took the crime scene video and put the entirety of the crime scene video um, in that documentary. Um, I've always had this ability ever since I was a small child, probably because I was I was watching very horrific, scary movies when I was a kid. I've always been able to look at something and in my head think something's not real. Um, so I was able to watch it, but um, there are, there are dead children on the ground in that crime scene video. So I I would say definitely a warning. I don't think it's for everybody. I mean, I think it's a very interesting documentary, but um it was I it it was very hard hitting. And that for that reason I kinda like Tower better. Cause Tower yeah. yeah, Tower still gave the facts. It still you had the heartache, but you weren't quite seeing that level. I guess maybe the director was trying to inflict anger in you because of the situation the police taking so long to handle the situation but it made me feel more conflicted as a viewer um so yeah. i mean if you're interested in like true crime anything like that nature i think it's i don't know if mass shootings fall under true crime now that i think about oh, it oh definitely but, okay uh, so, yeah okay. it's true crime Kidnapping, okay it's still murder, true crime whatever yeah yeah is it Just on a cry it. factor is it at dear zachary cry level? Uh, no no okay Mm-mm. Because that mm-hmm. one got me real bad. And then my boyfriend at the time ended up just calling me on his lunch break. Because it was like my day off day. And he used to call me on his lunch break. And he called me. And I was like bawling. He's like, oh my god, are you okay? And I was like, it's this movie. But it's real. It was awful. It's Everyone should see that documentary, Dear Zachary. It's so good. It's made with such love. And it's beautiful. But it's also heart-wrenchingly sad. And... Yeah. Um, will kind of show you the failings of, especially the Canadian justice system in that yeah. case, is messed yeah. up. And, yeah, makes me, like, like the American justice system, which not to go derail too far, but two yes. weird things happened in the justice system today. Allison, Allison Mack, who from Supernatural, not Supernatural, Smallville, who was part of the Nexium cult, 
did get jail time. Excellent. Glad she got jail time for coercing women to be sex slaves. I'm glad she got jail time. But Bill Cosby got let out on a technicality. And I'm... I don't know how I feel about this. 60 women have come forward. And I think five or six testified at that trial. And because of a technicality. I mean, like, the law is the law. And, yeah, you should uphold the law, even a technicality. It's it's the prosecutor's fault if they fucked up that way. And, uh, or the, I won't say the prosecutor individual, but the, the it's the state's burden of proof. And they're not saying that he didn't do his crimes. They're saying that they had to throw out the case because they did something wrong because they weren't supposed to use evidence that they used because he had signed something supposedly. But then there's no hard evidence that he signed it. It's very confusing. Uh, and again, this is the day it's happening. So I'm just I just listened to like the Philip DeFranco show and read one article on it and was just like annoyed. And I was like, I have to do something else so I don't hurt somebody. Um <laughs> It was really annoying. I mean, he probably can't do much of anything anymore because he is so old, but I don't even think he should have the right to try at this point. Yeah. So, and I'm bitter because, you know, I liked Bill Cosby before I knew he was a creep. So, I think we all felt a little betrayed by Bill Cosby. But hey, Allison Mack's going to prison. Yeah. That's one good thing. One good thing. Uh, Which I feel bad... I mean, she is a bit of a victim, too, which I feel bad about that because she definitely was victimized by, uh, shit, I'm like, Keith Ranieri. I was like, what the fuck is his name? I've watched, like, three different documentaries on the Nexium cult. Um, Yeah. Like, she is a victim of Keith Ranieri, too, but she perpetuated his abuse on other people, and that part's really scary. Um, Was there anything else you watched that was, like, happy? No, I'm sorry. That no? Luca was the only the only happy thing I've watched. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Like I oh, Luca was like really cute. <laughs> I actually I actually ended up watching a documentary about horror movies that I've meant to watch for a very long time. Um it hasn't been out that long. It's just every Halloween I meant to watch it and I just haven't. Um Film Noir, which is oh. a documentary about um black horror cinema. And it's okay. on Shutter. It's a Shutter documentary about like African American film and specifically in the horror genre. And it's very interesting because they have like Tony Todd and oh, sh- oh I'm completely forgetting his name, but uh, Keenan's dad from Keenan and Kel, who was in a bunch of horror movies too, and I can't remember his name. You would know him if you saw him. But they have a bunch of like actors they have one of the actresses from the craft um kind of talking about how um different movies you know started bringing the black experience to horror the horror genre where you weren't just the token black friend that gets killed and also they were very realistic about it and they kind of talked about like the impact that get out had and oh and jordan peele was like in it a bunch so, like, oh, talking yeah. about Get Out and his, he's like, yeah, I made it for black audiences, but I made it for everybody in the audience, too. But, like, if I wasn't, if black people weren't going to enjoy it, then I failed as a creator. Which I think is hilarious because I think you've seen, I saw, and you saw this trailer for this movie called Karen. Sorry, yeah. Taryn. Is it Taryn Manning? No. Is that her last name? Taryn I know, something. I know. 
I know she's uh, the actress on the Orange is New Black. Yeah. Yeah, Kentucky or what? Pennsylvania. Pen Pennsylvania. Yeah. I think she's a, she's I an okay actress. Yeah. Um, but apparently she has said some weird things too. I watched D'Angelo Wallace, who's a really funny YouTuber that deconstructs a lot of like social stuff going on. Um, and and he's black, and he reacted to the the Karen trailer. It's a BET movie. Apparently, the guy who's made the movie, the director has made nothing but like trash movies, like really bad, bad, low budget movies, and it just does not look good. It just looks like it's trying to be Get Out, but it doesn't really understand what Get Out did. I feel like my friend depressing. Stephanie said it best. Stephanie literally said, "I thought it was a college humor skit," and I was like, "Oh my god, me too!" Like Everyone I literally has. thought it was a skit. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like, "I thought it was an SNL skit," and then it kept going. I did watch a couple other movies. I don't think I mentioned this, but I watched Booksmart a couple weeks ago. <gasps> loved it. So good. I love it. Yeah, It's so good. Absolutely loved it. Do you what? know Bernie Philstein? Bernie Philstein is going to be Monica Lewinsky in American Crime Story. I think I did see that. I think she'll fit really well like, in that. Also, she's Jonah like, Hill's sister. Isn't that weird? Yes. Yes. They look really similar, though. Like, once you mm-hmm. know, it's, like, hard to unsee it. And which is funny that she did Booksmart because that was his big movie. And I was like, well, I mean, Superbad was his big Super movie. Bad. It's kind of like the mm-hmm. female version of Superbad. But I liked it. And I liked that, like, they accepted, like, their fellow classmates. It was it was so pleasant. Like, ev- like even the unpleasant parts. It was very cringy at parts, though. I was like, oh, y'all. Oh. Um, since you saw it more recently than I did. Okay, so you know the I think it was his name Tyler. So the blonde hair, blue eye guy that like she kisses uh, at yeah. graduation. Spoiler alert! I, no lie, that's exactly what Taylor looked like when I met him. Like exactly to a T. I was like, Taylor looks just like you. He's like, no, it doesn't. Too. Yeah, that actor has been in stuff. Like he looked really familiar to me, but I couldn't quite place him. But I thought it was really interesting, and I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, and then I saw um, two TV shows I started watching. Evil, which has, um, oh shit, oh, Mike, is it Mike? Who plays Luke Cage? I feel like his name is Mike. Anyways, Mike, oh, with a C. Oh, ah, mm, I should have looked this up. Um, anyways, um, I'm pretty sure. The guy that plays Luke Cage, he's in it. Um, and it's about this woman, she's a clinical psychologist, and, um, she gets converted by, converted, um, (laughs) she gets, um, convinced by a guy that's in the seminary, but not quite a priest, who's played by Luke Cage. What is his name? Anyways, you know who I'm talking about. He's a beautiful man. Yes, I see the face. Yeah. yeah, he's a very beautiful yes. man. He was very good in Jessica Jones. I gotta say, Luke Cage kind of disappointed me. It got real boring real fast, but I like that actor. Um, but basically, he's a priest in training. She's a clinical psychologist and a skeptic. And then there's a technology guy who grew up Muslim but is, like, atheist now. Um, and all three of them are trying to disprove miracles for the Catholic Church. But... Uh-huh. But Michael Emerson from Lost is, like, this creepy man who might be a demon, and he keeps, like, like trying to ruin their lives and ruin their stuff, and it's so interesting. Um, so if you like true crime, 
and like religious creepy symbolism it's right up my alley it's got catholic shit it's got um uh creepy ghost stuff and it's got like family dynamics because she's a mom of four little girls and like her husband is like a a sherpa in the mountains in another country temporarily and so like she's like kind of single parenting it and uh it's it's interesting um, it's, 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 it's kind of like Bones. It's a little funny, but not super funny. It's not as funny as Bones is. So, Evil's pretty good. It's, uh, just started a second season, but it's on Netflix, if you want to watch it. I also watched the first few episodes of The Act, which is the Gypsy Rose Blanchard story. <gasps> I really liked that one. Yeah, I've watched the Mommy Dead and Dearest documentary, which was really interesting, because, you know, they interview Gypsy in jail, um, at the end of it, and she kind of reunites with her biological father who was kind of kept mm-hmm. out of her life by her mom um and it's, it's very interesting um but yeah it's good i think uh joey uh what's her i can't remember her last name joey, joey king Letterman. right king joey king yes yeah. who is in some terrible she's she's she does so bad in some really cheap horror movies like for instance she was in the wish upon movie which is hilariously bad like she's like a director's actor i feel like and she is a good director and like other good actors she does a really good job i think she does a really good job in the act she really becomes gypsy and but she's also with patricia arquette who's an amazing actress and i think the director whoever directed and produced it i think was really good with her because when she's a good director she gives a good performance but when she's a crappy director and a crappy script, she's just all over the place. Um, but, you know, I was like, oh, good job, Joey King. Um, I haven't finished it yet. Um, but I also watched Cresha, which is the uh, first movie by the director of It Comes at Night. And it's actually okay. a movie about a woman who's kind of had a tumultuous relationship with her family. And she's done a lot of drugs and had alcohol abuse issues and she comes home for thanksgiving supposedly clean and changed and is trying to reunite with her son who's been living with her sister most of his life and it's kind of like how stressful coming back to your family can be and um it's really good and it's told from the perspective of her um but also the way it's directed and it was starring his family by the way the main character is played by his aunt whose name is Krisha and literally almost all of the cast is just his family members and he did it as a short film and then he expanded into this and it's it's just like one of those descent into madness kind of movies because it starts out really nice but then the tension just ramps up and up and up until the ending sequence which is just really like really awful to watch but it's also like everyone's been there and it's based on kind of true events like he had a cousin that relapsed at a family uh, reunion and so he kind of like wrote it based on that highly recommend i also watched this movie called lucky that's on shutter which is about a woman who uh she there's a man that keeps coming to her house at night and trying to kill her and her husband and she oh, apparently it's been happening for months, but she doesn't remember it until this one day where her husband's like, come on, it's the guy coming into our house. And it starts out really good because she's just like, what do you mean a guy comes to our house? He's like, you know, a guy comes to our house every night and tries to kill us. And then he runs away and he comes back the next day. And she's like, what the fuck? 
So it keeps happening and repeating, and she keeps trying to kill him, and she can never take his mask off and stuff. But then, like, it kind of falls apart at the end and becomes, like, too symbolic. And, like, I don't know. It was, like, like, it started out really good, and I think the first, like, 40 minutes are really good. But the last bit is just, it kind of falls apart and falls flat, and I was disappointed. Because I thought maybe it would be a good movie to watch for the podcast, because it's, like, a newer movie. But I was like, "Mm, maybe not. Mm. But premise was interesting. And the last thing that I watched was Blade Runner 2049, which is, like, ten times better than Blade Runner, in my opinion. (gasps) That's good to hear, because I I didn't like Blade Runner either. So, visually, yeah. Yeah. I was texting um, Peter about this because we were just talking and I was like, so I decided to watch Blade Runner 2049 and we were just talking about how there's like no passion between Harrison Ford and um, Sean Young at all in the first Blade Runner. I was like, I don't even understand why they run away together. Like, they don't seem to be in love with each other at all. Like, it's just weird. It's just like, I guess we'll just run away. Sorry, spoilers for Blade Runner. But it doesn't matter because that's not and there's really a sexual the assault. The there's a sexual assault scene too, where like he forcefully kisses her. Did I make that up in my head? Yeah, no, he does forcefully kiss okay. her. But then, because I was rereading the plot of Blade Runner, just because I was curious, like I was like, what happened again? Because I'm not going to watch that again. But um, yeah. I will say about Blade Runner, the visuals are really cool, and I love the yeah. world that it's in, which Ridley Scott's always good with that stuff. But I don't like the characters. I don't feel connected to any of them in the first one, except for the replicants at the end. Yeah. That's probably the only characters I kind of care about, but you don't see them as much. Um, I will say this, too. So it's very different from what I understand than um, do, um, what is it, do do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is what yeah. Blade Runner was based on. So if yes, you read, I haven't is, read the book, but I've read the wait. premise of the book, and it seems like they took a lot of liberties um, making Blade Runner um, when they are adapting it. And one of the things that I thought was really cool, and I, I think I've read that they may touch upon this in Blade Runner 2049, you can tell me, but in the original novel, they actually, animals are pretty much extinct, and it's like a sign of wealth to own an animal. Um, is that something they touch upon in Blade Runner 2049 as well? Um, there's a dog. I don't, I don't... I don't remember there being mechanical animals, um, but I will say I did fall asleep in the beginning of it because, okay, the beginning of it suffers because it's, okay, it's supposed to be a mystery, but I got really bored with him trying to figure out the mystery, but once, um, I almost said Jake Gyllenhaal, oh my god, Ryan Gosling, because they always do so many things that are so similar. Sorry, they're different people. Once Ryan Gosling's character, whose name is Kay, once Kay starts having emotions, because he's very emotionless in the beginning, is when I started getting invested in it. Like, it, it's kind of really quiet. And I also, like, I was watching it on a Sunday morning right after I watched The Vast of Night and Film Noir. So, like, I was watching a lot of movies. I did the artwork early in the morning, so maybe I was just tired. But by the time, like, like it got going, I really liked it. Um, but it does, like, kind of suffer in the beginning. It's kind of slow. Um, yeah. But uh, Harrison Ford's... Oh, shit. Oh, spoiler alert. Harrison Ford is in the, the sequel. Which is kind of a spoiler. I don't think it really matters. I knew he was in the movie before I saw it. And it's on the poster. But um, he has a dog in it. Yes. And I'm sorry. I so. should correct myself. <laughs> not me- Not mechanical animals, I should say. It's like... It's almost like androids, but 
uh, animal androids is what I meant to say. They look like oh, animals. Oh, like replicant but real- animals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's the big thing. No. Okay. I don't remember huh. there being electric animal. I don't remember there being animals except for the dog. Which maybe the dog was okay. a replicant. I don't know. It's more about how... Well, I don't want to ruin it for you. I don't really want to tell you what it's about because it is... I think it's interesting. Um, but... And I will say... Uh, Jared Leto is actually okay in it. Okay. Because he's um, controlled. Oh, you know, Tyrion just came out from under your bed. Maybe he was thrown up under your bed. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> Brittany was hearing some animal throw-up sounds, but couldn't find the culprit. So I know. Hope, hopefully not TK. Eventually you'll hopefully find it. My, It'll be fine. Hopefully not my TK. Hopefully not. Um, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to tell you what it's about. I I do like it much better than the original Blade Runner. I found Blade Runner incredibly boring and mm-hmm. passionless, which I love Alien. I love Alien. Um, Aliens is fun, too, but I would call Aliens more like a sci-fi action movie, and I like Alien because it's true sci-fi horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and the character development is so strong. And there is a twist in Alien, which I'm not going to ruin for anyone here, that no one ruined for me before I saw the movie. And something happens with a character. And I was like, oh my god. I did not see that coming. And I loved it. And I just thought it was so cool that that movie's so old and no one ruined it for me, surprisingly. Um, because it's not, it doesn't really have a ton to do with the actual Alien. But there's some real cool character development in Alien. And I really like Ryan Gosling's character in Blade Runner 2049. He sells it and i think he was the perfect choice and it's so funny because i always think harrison ford's such a charismatic actor but i think peter actually said this he's kind of like he just doesn't really seem to be into blade runner and i was like yeah he's kind of lacking that charisma of indiana jones or han solo as a character like i don't know what it was about blade runner maybe the maybe maybe it was like a weird working environment maybe it was like working with a lot of like I don't know if it was green screen so or much, maybe but it was a lot of miniatures. Or maybe, maybe that was his detached. choice for Declan. Maybe that was his choice yeah. for Declan was that Declan is more detached and cold. So, because I could see that as being as part of that world too. Which, no, but when you have, I get it as a, a character Harrison choice. Ford, yeah, his draw is that he's a charismatic, tough guy. Like, I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing about Harrison Ford. That's why he works as Han Solo. He tries to be this rogue solo guy but he's not like he's very charming and he likes to be admired and i mean i think decker is kind of i don't know i don't really like decker as a character i think he's boring i think sean young's character is really boring um and uh rachel that's her name i think rachel's Mm -hmm. super boring as a character um i think but the thing is like if you saw ex machina Mm -hmm. you see ex machina right oh yeah oh yeah like think about that character compared to Rachel, how much more interesting she is than yeah. Rachel. And, I mean, it's basically the same thing. Um, is like, you know, androids, do they have souls or not? Um, yes. But anyways, I thought it was good. It looks it looks really good. Um, it's D- Denis Villeneuve, which this is the first Denis Villeneuve movie I've seen, and I've been wanting to see one of his movies because I've heard so many good things about him. He's a French-Canadian um director and he's gotten a lot of high praise and he's actually directing the dune movie that's set to come out so 
it, it, the visuals are on point. Um, but yeah. Also, the ending fight scene, Harrison Ford is like handcuffed and can't fight, and I was like, that was on purpose because you know he wasn't mm-hmm. gonna actually fight. That's why. That's why. Spoiler alert: Han Solo gets lightsabered to death in episode seven because they were like, he was like, I'm not. No, I am like eighty something. He's not eighty, is he? He's seventy something. He's getting up there. I think there. he's late seventies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's still like kicking. But yeah, he might be like Dick Van Dyke. He might make it to a very old age. I'm glad Dick Van Dyke is still alive. He just got a Kennedy Center honor, which I was yeah. like, how did we not give that to him decades ago? Dick Van Dyke is like freaking amazing. I love him. Anyways, but that's enough to talk about what we talked about. I didn't realize how much I watched. I thought it was a short list, and then we ended up talking a lot. Um, so, I guess it's time to get started on the movie. <laughs> really? Really? Really, Gizmo? Gizmo may bark. Hopefully. No, it's okay. We're going we're gonna to start the actual movie discussion um, on The Vast of Night, which is Britney's pick. So, I will let you intro it properly. Yes. 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 I love this movie. This is actually one of my favorite movies we've done on the podcast. I've loved I it. I really like it. It's really cute. Yeah. And interesting. It is. It's so, I mean, I could talk about all the things I love about this movie, but it's so well done. Um, and it's, it, I think you'll see it that, like, people are like, uh, saying this is a UFO movie is a oversimplification of it and yeah. it, it really is like it's just there's so much more to it like the story's been done a hundred times before but the way andrew patterson did the story is mm-hmm. like nothing i've ever seen it was captivating it's even though style. i knew it was gonna happen yeah yeah it's it's got a lot of style and um vision very it's a very unique vision um and i like it um i like the framework of you know like basically a twilight zone ripoff i love that yeah and I think the two main actors are really good. And oh, yeah. very young. Because um, this movie, I think, was filmed in, like, 2018? I want to say it was 2016, 2017, I feel it like. It might have been. I was going to say it was, like, yes. at the latest. Filmed in Whitney, Texas during the fall of 2016, over 17 days. So, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's not um, a super old movie. It's pretty new. Um, mm-hmm. Or it's... It's new, but it was filmed a long time ago. Yeah, it so. was like, it, it took a while because, as as we know, um, director and- Andrew Patterson, this was made on a budget of $700,000, which sounds like a lot of money, but really is not to make not a movie. Not in movie terms. Yeah. yeah, not in movie terms. And he pretty much financed it all himself, which is also incredible. So it took a while. Um, yeah to get picked up i think he submitted it to i want to say 16 different film festivals or no 18 different film festivals before a uh, slam dance took it in and then of course it got all kinds of accolades at slam dance film festival where it was picked up by amazon which is how it now yeah. is on amazon prime so and it even went to like tiff and stuff like that afterwards so because mm-hmm. i think i watched the tiff post-screening interview with him and the two main actors and the actor who played Billy actually was there, too. Um, yes. And he kind of said, they, they were kind of announcing, like, hey, this movie just got picked up by 
Amazon. So I think it happened like after Slam Dance, but before TIFF. Um, yeah. Which that's the Toronto International Film Festival. If y'all, for the uninitiated, which I've never been, but there's a lot of Canadian YouTubers that do movie reviews that happen to go to TIFF. So I always hear about what's playing at TIFF, and usually it's got some pretty good movies playing there so so we'll actually so i'll go for directors and actors and then we'll give a brief synopsis before jumping into the actual spoiler alerts for the movie um so this was directed by andrew patterson this is a directorial debut which we love to do here on grindhouse girls podcast i think if we go for our movies i want to say one third of them that we've done for the podcast have been directorial debuts a lot a lot of directorial debuts (laughs) it's interesting i think people have like all these ideas bottled up inside of them and when you get your first feature i think uh, it's hopefully you don't you know shoot your wad as it were doing that but i do think that it's it's like lightning in a bottle yeah kind of thing like people are just like i've been waiting so long to be able to tell my story and so i'm gonna put my best foot forward so maybe that's why and i think also people have been unspoiled by hollywood yet Very true. I would definitely agree with that. And um, so, of course, this is his directorial debut. Um, He formed the production company GED Media in Oklahoma City. He's an Oklahoma boy. Uh, He even said, you know, I want to make movies and live in Oklahoma. That's kind of what he wants to do. So he's not like in the middle of everything. Like he is very sure of himself and he seems like very pleasant. Like when you're watching interviews with his cast and crew, they have nothing but good things to say about him, which is awesome. So of course, like we say, he financed the film himself. It did premiere at 2019 Slam Dance Film Festival, where it won Best Narrative Feature Audience Award. And his next film's already been filmed completely. So his next film is a revenge oh, cool. thriller set in the honeybee industry. Yes. Interesting. Yes. yes. That is very interesting. So, yeah, someone gets stung to death. I hope, like, I am, since it's already been completely filmed, and I guess now he's going to be giving that one to the different film circuits and, and uh, awards, or I guess film festivals, I should say. I'm curious to see, like, if we'll one day be, like, scrolling and be like, holy shit, that's Andrews Patterson's second movie. Right. Um, now... You probably saw this, Katie, but I thought you you would appreciate this if you hadn't. So, The Vast of Night was written to be more like a play or a podcast. So, that's what yeah. the general direction he was going yeah. in writing this. He wrote so, it with one other person, Craig W. Sanger. But he put mm-hmm. it under a pseudonym as one person is how he registered the script as. But they kind of were like, uh, he just had a flash of like, 1950s, New Mexico, black and white, aliens, and that's all he had. They wrote the script, and they were kind of like, you know, we could do it as a radio play, we could do it as a podcast, we could do it as a as a miniseries. Like, they were very open with what it was going to be, which I think is cool. Like, they just wanted their story to be heard. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think and it's two for the time period. Yeah, it, it was great. And um, so, and also, you probably, so one thing I really liked about this movie, I thought um, you should, we should give a shout out, was the cinematography was done by M.I. Litton Mins. 
um, who's also done, he's done a few movies that I haven't heard of, to be honest, but they have bigger actors in it. So, Hand of Stone, which was a Robert De Niro movie. He did cinematography for Resistance, which was a Jesse Eisenberg film. But I thought it was interesting because when um, Andrew was talking about that TIFF interview, I know you were watching, um, he mentioned, mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, um, he said that um, Linton Mintz was really out of their budget. He was like, he was a little bit yes. out of our budget, but we, we really, really wanted him. And oh my God, he's like so good. So I'm like, I'm really glad they got him for this movie because he really helped make it. Um so, and then the thing is about filming in Whitney, Texas, the movie was set, of course, in New Mexico, but the thing about Whitney, because it was a, such a small town, and they were filming at night, which, of course, you have this atmosphere because it's being filmed at night, but it was also to hide a lot of the modernized, the, all, all the buildings that are modernized, um, but it was a small town, and they were like, the people there were so accommodating, they were like giving them the keys to their stores so they could just go in after night if they needed yes. like, a shovel or something, so this movie they was actually- like... Did you hear what happened with their... There's this really cool one-shot take in the movie, which is very Evil Dead-esque because it's, like, a handheld. Um, and it's, like, a low... It's, like, filmed at a low angle. Sorry. Uh, I guess You're I was good. trying to eat some mouthful that he probably shouldn't be. Um, it's, like, filmed at a low angle. It was very reminiscent of the original Evil Dead uh, shot that was on, like, a two-by-four. Um, they they needed a way to drive the camera around go, going pretty fast, and they actually ended up borrowing a golf cart from a local pastor from the town, <laughs> and that's how they achieved that, that and handoffs. And um, if you're interested on YouTube, there is a video that um, Amazon, Move, Amazon Studios put on their YouTube channel, and it's like a, a director's commentary, but it's just that scene, and it... And it's not just the director, though. It's the director, the cinematographer, and everybody who passed the camera talking like, hey, this is when I took it. This is how we achieved it. And it's very interesting because, like, if you're hearing them tell you, like, and this is where someone's walking with it versus driving, and the handoffs are so smooth. It was, like, climax or something that good, but they did it on, like, a rinky-dink budget, and I think that's so cool. Which Climax is an independent movie too, but Climax had a much bigger budget. You yeah. Know? But I think that shot's probably my favorite. And there's something towards the end that I thought was really cool, but I'm not going to spoil anything. Yes. Yet. I can't wait to talk about this movie because there's so many, like, there's so many great scenes in this movie. Like, usually when I watch a movie, there's like one or two scenes that stuck out to me. This movie, I felt like there was multiple scenes that I was like, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, but I guess yeah. we'll get into the actors a little bit. So um, we have our two main actors, the first being Sierra McCormick, who plays Faye Crocker. Um, so she was actually a child mm-hmm. actor. She um, kind of got her start. Yeah. She was Lilith in season three and four of Supernatural. Um, she was in a romantic comedy called Challenge. She voiced Alice in Spooky Buddies, which is like the Air Bud spinoffs. Um, so, and she was in <laughs> Ramona and Beezus. Uh, so yeah, so she was a child actor. Um, and then to watch this movie, I'm like, she is so damn good. Like, I, I mean, we'll She's get to the, good. yeah, we'll get to the part where there's a, a long take she does that yeah. is incredible. Her, and I think it's, it's without spoiling it. Her character is mm-hmm. a switchboard operator, mm-hmm. which my grandmother actually did switchboard <gasps> operating. That's Not so cool. Totally. Yeah. It was a part-time job she had at, a, was that a radio station, I think in Cincinnati. Um, and she told me that many years ago. 
Um, and she's like, yeah, I used to do that. Your grandpa would come pick me up. And I was like, oh, my God, you were a switchboard operator? Because I don't know why, but that just always seemed like a cool job. Like, yeah. and, like it's really difficult. But um, they, she obviously had to practice. And there's this one scene that's like, it was supposed to, it was originally 11 minutes long. And they cut it from 11 minutes. So they taped this scene 11 minutes of her, just her, um, interacting with the switchboard and other people. Um, and it, it got trimmed down to nine minutes, but it is very long and very complicated and she did such a good job and she seems to know what she's doing. So she must've practiced a lot. Oh, now I got a sleepy dachshund in my arms. And yeah, the switchboard thing is really interesting because it's literally a, a dying art. Like, I mean, it's very sad to think about, but the last people who had these jobs are, are getting older and they are passing away. So, I mean, it's really yeah. a dying art. And I think I've read or heard that they did put her in a room for like two days and they were just are like, you just have to practice this all day. You have to get this down. And she did. She's like super convincing. I didn't know if you want to talk about Everett a little bit. Yeah, the guy that plays Everett, his name is Jake Horowitz, which I couldn't find this, but I was like, is he related to the guy that created Arrested Development? But I didn't find anything. I think it's just Mitch Horowitz. That's who created Arrested Development. Um, But I think it's just a coincidence. He's honestly mostly a theater actor. He did a, a very famous performance of Our Town, and he was in Julie Taymor's A Midsummer Night's Dream, and that was taped, and and I haven't seen it yet. But I was like, that's cool, because Julie Taymor, which we've mentioned her before, um, very famously <laughs> was fired from Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Or Turn On the Dark? Something about the dark. It was a flop. They were trying to do crazy, crazy stunts live every night, and people kept falling off and getting really, really injured. Uh, which, But she started out her directing career doing operas um, and and... So a lot of her movies, which she's done a really, really amazing version of Titus Andronicus, um, which is just called Titus, starring Anthony Hopkins and everybody's favorite lady from American Horror Story. And now my brain's gone. Jessica Lange? Jessica Lange. Yeah, Jessica Lange. Thank you. I was like, Jessica Lange. Yes. Um, Remind me now... The actual, the title of The Vast of Night, does that actually come from A Midsummer's Night Dream? Yeah. No, it's not Midsummer Night's Dream. It's um, from The Tempest. The Tempest. Okay. Okay. Yes. I was like, Shakespeare. Which I wrote, yes. <laughs> it, is, it is definitely Shakespeare. There's a lot of references. Like, at some point, I think they they basically say the beginning to, I want to say, Gunsmoke, the TV show. Like, they quote it. So, there's a lot of, like, references to, like, old movies and, like, The Vast of Night, um, which I did not write the actual quote from The Tempest. The Tempest is good. I haven't read The Tempest in a really long time. But I think it's one that doesn't get done as much as it probably should. So, and then, really, there's not a whole lot of other actors. Um, they're really the two main ones. Everett is a young radio DJ and a friend of Faye's who's a whiz kid with technology. And there's Gail Kernauer. Is how I'm going to say We're going to say her last name. Um, who plays Mabel Blanche? Mabel, She's an woman. Mabel, Mabel. <laughs> Although they just call her Blanche in the thing. in the I subtitles. Like, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I was her like, last her, name. her name is Mabel. Sorry, as soon as they said that, me and Taylor just yeah. looked at each other and smiled. So, <laughs> well, I saw on the um, I saw on the YouTube comments to the TIFF thing that apparently she is just a 
a really famous actress, like, in local Texas theater. Like, she's just a legend. But she has been in a lot of movies, including JFK. She was in JFK. And she was in several episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, which has been lost to history. But uh, I still vaguely remember it. Um, And then uh, Bruce Davis plays Billy, um, who I I couldn't really find a lot of stuff on him. But when he was in that interview, he said he mostly does voiceover work. So he never actually met the director until after he had recorded all of his audio because his part is just a voiceover part but he seems like a really nice guy like he yeah. was really nice and i was like i want to work with that man he seems so sweet um because he's like an older actor i don't know some some elder older actors are like bitter but like some are just like i just love the game i just love the craft and they're just really sweet he just seems like a sweet man um so yeah but that's pretty much all the people there's a bunch of like towns people that come and go but they don't really have long parts yeah. But everyone's good in this movie. Like, everyone's given it their all. And everyone's, like... I think most people, except for maybe the two main characters, were local. So, pretty much everyone else was from Texas. And it takes place in New Mexico in the 50s. So, which I guess... I guess Do people have southern accents in New Mexico? That's what Taylor was saying, too. Taylor, when he watched this one with me, he said... For them being in Texas, because my husband is a Texan, born and raised. Um, so when when he He's was from. just like, he, he is. He's a long really view. Clap this up, but. <laughs> but he said that he said for being for being in Texas, they sound really southern. And I said, is there not like southern speaking people in Texas? And he goes. Maybe in other parts, but he said where he was from, people people did not sound that southern. So I'm not sure if it was that part of Texas, part of Texas or did he live in uh, Longview? So yeah, I would say people. I don't, it, there was a mix, but I, there's a lot of like, "Hey y'all, what's up?" But I wonder if it's just like the 1950s fast talking too. Yes, because that was a um, that's actually one of my only complaints about the movie was that this was one, especially in the early parts of the movie, that because they're so fast. And they're throwing out so much slang. I did, like, we had started watching it without the um, close captioning. And I was like, Taylor, I literally cannot hear what they're saying. Like, they are speaking too fast. I watch everything with closed captioning now. I just do. Because I feel like I miss stuff when I don't. It it depends. Yeah. Um, But I will say the second time around, I caught a lot more references. And I was like, oh, okay. Which I didn't get to finish it the second time. But I got to watch, like, the first 40 minutes again. Um, just cause that's really what I wasn't paying attention to the first time I watched. Cause like I was, cause I was like distracted by like the syntax and all that stuff of how they're yeah. talking. Which was another thing I loved about this movie is that it is 93 minutes, um, which was beautiful. Nice I love it short. when we do hour yeah. and a half movies. So. Yeah. It was <laughs> real nice, real nice and nice and short. Yes. Um, do, do you have a synopsis before we I, get started with getting into spoilers? I do, I do. So once again, we are talking about The Vast of Night. It is on Amazon Prime. Um, and on the fall New Mexico night in the 1950s, teenage switchboard operator Faye and young radio DJ Everett discover a strange frequency that sets them on a mis- uh, mystery that could change their small town and their lives forever. Da-da-da. This is what um, I love yeah. about this movie. Real quick, too, is I watch. I did watch, watch this one twice, and I got cold chills in the same parts both times. I was like, okay, Aww. so this is good the second time around. That's awesome. So 
It's great. I really liked it. I really like this movie. I won't say it's my favorite, but I just thought it had a lot of interesting, unique parts about it. And I just loved the style of it. And I don't know, you could just kind of feel the heart in this movie of how it was made. Um, So I would say before we get into spoilers, uh, I would say recommend definitely. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So I, I, you go on. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I, I was about to say, I, I know you're not the biggest Richard Linklater fan, but um, supposedly Sierra, who plays Faye, uh, Andrew said to her, he was like, this is like a Lincoln, Richard Linklater script, like, but about aliens, essentially. And she was like, and when I read it like that, she's like, it clicked. It just made so much sense to me. And see, I thought it was more like maybe Steven Spielberg when he was younger. Um, in yeah. some ways, is what or I George felt. Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what they were trying to do with the fourth Indiana Jones movie. You could definitely feel like there's a magic. Oh, yeah, I felt miserably. You could definitely feel like there was a magic around this film, though. That, like, I'm, like, I'm very excited to see what he'll do in the future. Yeah, I I think it sets up some really interesting stuff. I didn't, I had not read that he'd already finished filming his second movie, so that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That'll be fun to see. Oh, yeah, because it sounds very Grindhouse girly. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> I guess we should go ahead and get talking about the 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 plot, the movie, the spoilers. Yes. Let's let's get into that plot. Yes. Sorry, guys, we took a breather. I've got a dachshund. I'm trying to wrangle. Yes, we okay. get it. We get it. If if you hear chewing noises, it's him. Maybe it'll just be a little ASMR for our listeners. Yes. So, if you hear some chewing, but. If not, I'll probably let Britt talk more about the plot so I can silence myself with the chewing. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. So I know we're about to hop in. Once again, this is The Vast of Night. It is on Amazon Prime. We both recommend it. Please watch it. And we're counting down in three, two, one. We are officially in spoiler territory, guys. Spoilers! Yes. So as Kitty mentioned before, this movie is framed by Paradox Theater, which is a, a Twilight Zone-ish TV show. So um, we'll randomly in and out of the movie, uh, kind of go into Paradox Theater. It'll show like black and white mm-hmm. and kind of stacky, which is really cool. Yeah. And they said the reason they it's did cool. this. A couple times it's distracting. Yeah. There I would agree with that. A couple times where I was like, I don't think we needed to go back to this way, but Okay. I would agree with that. And I had an audience member ask the question. They were like, why did you do it like that? And um, Andrew Patterson was just like, we we wanted to make a comment that we knew what we were doing was not original. Like, this was not original. We didn't do anything new. And we were kind of making hmm. fun of ourselves with that. So, yeah. I thought, too, it gave you a sense of, like, time period right away. And, like, the style that you were going to watch. Like, a caricature style. Because yeah. that's how it really starts out, is everyone is very animated, very like, hey, 32 skidoo, I mean, 38 skidoo, whatever. <laughs> uh, like, 20, 23 skidoo, sorry. Like, they all talk like the grandpa from Hey Arnold. Um, you know, very fast talking, very like, what's up, ace, kind of stuff, and it's very, like, colloquial to the 50s. Um, and, you know, they're starting to set up for a basketball game and stuff, um, but it kind of gets more realistic as the movie progresses definitely yeah, but i, would I do like the that. opening scenes because it's just like 
you just hear like these two gentlemen go like, oh, I'm heading over to the basketball game. And then immediately we see our first main character walk in to try to fix an electrical problem at the basketball game gymnasium. Yeah, and um, I love it because, like, the first thing you'll see is, like, the cheerleaders, and they're, like, wearing, like, uh, below-the-knee skirts and, like, big sweaters. And, I mean, I've seen my grandma's yearbook, so I'm like, yeah, this is very accurate. And so you probably saw this, Mm -hmm. too. So the costume and set design, so they pulled all from pictures of that era. So they did not use any other movies as references. They literally pulled from source pictures. Um, And it's great. Like, and everything was from thrift stores. Like, they basically went to thrift stores for three full months and just was able to dress everyone in the in the cast including all their extras based on that um i mean honestly that's the best way if you're doing recent period pieces like if you're not doing a costume drama where you're not gonna be able to find it i think that's the best way because you can find some really cool real stuff there yeah yeah, so you, you instantly feel, like, drawn into this world. Um, and like Katie said, we meet Everett, um, and he is called in because the, it's the, basically it's a small town, and they have, and it's um, ca, ca, Cayuga. Ca, Cayuga, which is a word I struggle with, Cayuga High School, and they're having a basketball game. New and Mexico. because it's a small town, it's like, yeah, in New Mexico, everyone's going to the basketball game that's like the the it thing to do that night you go to the damn basketball game and so the lights have been flickering oh, yeah. and because ever is a uh is a is a radio dj they think he could fix it he ends up leaving and we're introduced to Faye, who is seems like maybe she's like a couple years younger than him like because they they're friendly with each other but he also kind of picks on her like almost like a young like an older sibling would pick on like and i think it's obvious yeah you go on you have something to say Oh, I was like, I was like, yeah. I think also there's a little bit of a crush there, but like, I say, a yeah, crush. yeah. I don't think Everett. Like, she doesn't understand it. Yes, and I told she, Taylor she that she does not understand. Taylor goes, "Do you think they like each other?" I was like, "I think Faye likes Everett, but I don't think Everett likes Faye that way. I think he thinks of her as a kid." See, I think the other way around. I think Everett does like her, but he's respectful um, because her friend makes a very specific comment when her coworker is like. Oh, he's so nice. And she's like, oh, she, they're like, why don't you call and ask him a question? And she's like, oh, I don't want to bother him when he's working. And they're like, I don't think he'd be bothered by you. He doesn't mind. Yeah. I think everybody knows that they like each other, but they just haven't figured it out themselves. Maybe. Maybe that's a if good that way to look sense. at it. Because I was thinking. and There's, there's nothing some... like untoward or creepy about their relationship. No, not at all. But there's some things where he'll just be like, he'll say things like, I, I don't know your middle name and I don't care about your middle name. Or he'll be like, shut up, Faye. Like, he told her, shut up twice. And I'm like, God, stop being a jackass, Everett. Like, Okay, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, boys. boys yeah. Are just like, I mean, I don't want to say boys will be bullies. But I think men and and people in general will often, like, little things about people that they like when they're not sure how the other person feels because they're just like I don't want people to think that I like them because I'm not ready to be aware of those feelings yet um you know me thinks the lady doth protest too much kind of thing ah okay fair enough fair enough um so but huh 
I said to quote Shakespeare. I to quote Shakespeare, there. yes. Um, but um, so we meet Faye too, um, and she has a brand new tape recorder. And so the first little like couple, like maybe 10, 15 minutes of the movie, is that Everett, because he's a, a radio jockey, is trying to teach Faye how to use her tape recorder. So they go around interviewing mm-hmm. a few people who are arriving to the basketball game. So it kind of mm-hmm. gets you set in this idea of this. It's a small town. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's kind of in each other's business. And he ends up because everyone else is at the game, but they have to work that night. Her as a switchboard operator, him as a uh, radio jockey. He walks her to um, work, and he's like, okay, we should still keep testing out the tape recorder. So he's like, tell me some things. And she's, like, very bright. She's interested in science, and she's interested in math, and she's talking about these articles, and it's so funny um, because she mentions um, things that now we as modern, as a modern people um electronic cars with gps she's like yeah and she's like one day you're gonna walk around with this like kind of little tv in your pocket and you know if you don't answer it you know your friend's dead because they always have it on them i'm like oh my god it's a cell phone so it's like these really cute like little things that like we're, we're in the 1950s and he literally even says that he's like yeah i just don't see that happening um yeah. And so, yeah, he drops... She reads, like, scientific magazines and stuff. Like, yeah. she's that person. She's so smart. And it's really interesting to think off the bat that um, as we deal with people who are different in this movie, I know we'll get ready to get to that, the people who are kind of different or outsiders in some way. Um, Faye's kind of an outsider herself because she's a very bright, very smart girl, interested in, at, typically at the time, was probably was considered more male activities and hobbies. Um, and I think it's a very interesting thing for Faye right off the bat for her as a character. Um, but she gets to work and, um, while she's listening to Everett's radio station, she hears like this strange, like static humming noise. And so, um, even shortly afterwards, a woman calls in and she's like, the woman calls in, she's like kind of hysterical and she's like, there's a strange object flying overhead and you hear dogs barking and she's like, we're going to the cellar, we're going to the cellar and the line just cuts. And so, what's great about this scene is that Sierra's acting in this scene as Faye is that this is like what you said earlier. It's a nine-minute sequence, and you see the anxiety just kind of amp mm-hmm. very slowly. Yeah, because she keeps making calls and answering calls, and she'll be talking to someone like, Hey, I haven't heard from so-and-so. Can you go check on them? And as she's asking the question, that line goes dead. And then the next line goes dead. And it's not... It's not scary, scary, um, but I it's t- it's tension building. Yeah. Um, because, like, it could just be that the phones are malfunctioning. This is the 50s. Phone lines were, you know, wires would get crossed to, like, people. There's a whole, like, there's, like, an episode of every, like, 1940s, 1950s radio show or TV show, like, like I Love Lucy, where, like, somebody's lines get crossed and they, they hear something they shouldn't have heard on the phone and it's, like, a big to-do you know, like, that happened. So, like, I'm sure, like, it wasn't out of the ordinary for, like, the phone lines to go dead. But it's, like, it starts out, like, normal. And she's, like, trying to keep calm. She just keeps calling, like, different people. Like, oh, she calls the police station. Oh, they're all out. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me call my little sister's being babysat because my mom's at work. Let me call the house. Oh, the babysitter's line's gone dead. Let me call my neighbor. Oh, my neighbor's it's just like it's just like what the fuck's happening? So she finally calls Everett and he didn't hear the whole thing. He didn't know that it interrupted the broadcast and she's like I have it on one of the lines. It's cuz it, she picked it up on one of the phone lines and she's been holding the line in case someone needed to hear it. 
And he's like, oh my god, let me hear it. And so he ends up playing it on the radio broadcast for her um, and asking, hey, has anyone heard this yet? And they get an interesting call, um, which I think, I can't remember if, I think it's before, is it before or after this scene where they, I think it's during the phone call where they have the one shot scene. Yes, so, so she, he basically, yeah, he tells her, he's just like, hey, for 10 minutes, you know, don't, don't answer anything, I'm waiting for a call, and like, just like, wait. So they play the sound for 10 minutes, and Faye goes outside and lights up a cigarette, and while she's lighting up a cigarette, that's when you see. she said she didn't smoke before. Yeah, exactly. She literally pulls it out of her purse, too. But she lights the cigarette, and that's when you have that great, like, one shot that, Katie, you were talking about, mm-hmm. where it's a go-kart that was being used. And they, it yeah. sits... And a- handheld. They switched it out. Yeah, it's amazing. That's why I think it's so cool. It's it's seamless. It's yes. great. And they did use a little bit of CGI to like hide some stuff, but it's pretty cool. It is. And it literally it gives you an idea of how small the town is too because you're literally from um her job to his job which is WOTW World World of the Wars, get it? World of um, the Worlds. World of the War of the Worlds. Yes. It's like a nod to War of the Worlds and like he's yes. also smoking a cigarette. Yeah, and I love that. So it's almost like they're across town doing the exact same thing. But she does, she does, she calls him. She's like, I have a caller. And he's like, put him through, put him through. Um, And this, like, scene is so amazing. I loved it. It's really good. Um, So there's this man, Billy, and he calls. And they're kind of like, you know, like, uh, you know, they give him, like, the radio warning. And he just, he tells them in a really, really, like, good like building the tension way again um that he was in the army and basically there he and a bunch of other people were kind of secretly sequestered in this area where they hid this spherical object the size of a plane and then after he got done doing that assignment he and a bunch of other people got really sick and the line goes dead because the power goes out for a second and the line goes dead and um, he calls back immediately, and she transfers him over. And uh, they're still recording, but they're off air. And he kind of tells them, like, they're like, we need your actual phone number. He's like, I can't do that. Like, nobody knows everything. That's part of it. Um, but he basically tells them that one of the reasons why um, nobody was going to believe him or anyone else was, one, it's the army. So nobody knows the whole truth. Everybody knows bits and pieces. So even he doesn't know the whole truth. Two, they specifically requested all Hispanic and black people yeah. to do this project because they thought that they would be listened to less because this is the 1950s. And I like that they, they do mention that and Everett, and, you know, Everett's like, oh, I did kind of suspect that you were, like, he just, he's like, I kind of suspected. And the guy's like, you know, if that's a problem, I'll hang up. He's like, no, it's not a problem for me. I don't care. Yeah. You know, it's not what it's about. But it's, it, I mean... It kind of reminds me of like the, um, was it the Tuskegee experiment? Yeah, that happened. I instantly in Alabama where they gave everyone syphilis. And yes, didn't give them medical treatment and it was fucked up. I instantly during this scene like um, because I mean I you you can like tell like maybe by like his voice he's a he's a uh, a black gentleman. But to actually hear him say the words, I suppose I'm telling you because I'm sick and I'm old and no one listens to us. And Everett's like, why would no one listen to you, Billy? And he's like, I think part of it because I'm black. It literally was a gut punch 
to just have that reminder. I know. I was like, I think I literally went, oh. I literally, like, started tearing up. I was so sad. I was like, you. Because the moment is, the moment builds so beautifully that, like, it literally kind of sucks the breath out of you to just think, because he's telling that whole story, and then just to think that, like, yeah, I mean, that's historically accurate. That's that's actually what oh, really yeah. happened in these cases. And it just was jarring. Um, but so beautifully acted and done. Yeah, I think he did a really good job. Um, and so he tells the story, and of course they've heard this on the air. Well, another woman calls in. Another person calls in. It's a woman. And she says she needs to tell them. And... I think, is this when the power goes out and they have to go to the library? Oh, no, no. Billy tells them mm-hmm. that someone did record um, a bunch of information and they know that it got left to a local person and their archives are in the library, so they go to the library basement. Yeah. And that's what he literally, uh, he gets, it's funny because Faye is so used to running everywhere. She runs and then he steals someone's car. Because this is the back in the day when people left their keys in the car. He borrows them. <laughs> What? He, no, I think he, didn't he, I thought he asked them. I didn't think he did. Because I think we're, she said, oh. where did you get it? Well, and someone he, was, he knew, though. Yeah, he knew them. He knew them. Knew. But they were in the basketball game. He just took the car for a spin. <laughs> like, um, which is, I mean, that's really how it was. Like, when our parents, or when my mom was a child, uh, they left their doors unlocked, which is unheard of. Um, but they do find the tape with the noise, and they play it, and it causes the light to go out only in the building they're in. Which is freaky. Yeah. And so she does go back to the switchboard operator where um, many people are calling. And suddenly many people are like, there's something in the sky. There's something in the sky. And she keeps getting these same kind of calls. And then a lady calls them, which is Mabel Blanche. And she's like, I can tell you guys more, but I need you to come to my house and tell you this. Yeah. And they, they travel to Mabel's house and they bring their tape recorder. And... I will say, I feel like Billy's testimony was a little more powerful, but maybe it's because, like, she was visually there, and yeah. she kinda, it wasn't visually as interesting, because they're doing stuff while Billy's talking. Um, so this is maybe the one part that kind of lagged, and I kind of zoned out for a second in the middle of her story, and then it got interesting, because basically she tells the story of, like, her life growing up or whatever, and... Um, her son, when he was a baby, um, she was a single parent, I believe, and she had a little boy, and her little boy, um, started, um, saying these very strange words that weren't in English, and, um, he was just, like, different ever since then, and, um, nothing really seemed to change it. Um, but he did grow up, and, um, then one day he, uh, wandered out, and he just disappeared forever, and she said, they took him, and they were like, who? She's like, them. They like it here. They come here a lot. So this is not the first time it's apparently happened in this town. Because she mentions the story when she was a child, there was, they call it, like, um... 
they called it this raid, and she was like, because they believed, like, there was, like, a local tribe that took all, or not the local tribe, there was a, um, they believed there was a group of people, because there was, like, a train filled with people, and then the train arrived to the station, and everyone just vanished, like, there was no one on the train, and they had finally found a, a woman a couple days later, and she was like, my friend's family took the woman in, and she didn't talk at all, except for in her sleep, and she spoke this strange language, and then she ran away. So it's like very loosely implied like, hey, they've been abducting people for a while. And history has said it's yeah. other people doing the abductions, but it's not. So, and I love that. I was like, oh, yeah. that makes sense like in the lore and of she, this town. And she wrote down the words. Mm-hmm. So she's been like repeating them almost like a prayer her whole life. And she asks um, Everett and Faye to take her with them. And they're like, take you where? Like, with you. I want to be with my son again. And it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, honey. So they don't. They don't take her with them. Which I kind of wish they had. Yeah, that really that really bothered ends. me, too. Because it's like the optimist in me. It's like she she's mentioned, she's like, my son's all I ever had. She was orphaned when she was young. The love of her life died um, and left her pregnant. And so it was like she wants to be. And I actually was kind of mad. I don't know if this is the correct way. I don't know if you saw it this way. But I felt like Everett. Is in such a place of privilege, and like Billy's a black man, and Mabel is a is a old woman, so it's like an ageist thing, it's a sexist thing, and she's an unwed mother, and it's like they're giving this warning, and he doesn't heed it. Oh and, yeah, no, They've yeah, been warned many times, and it's like a total place of privilege. Of annoyed yeah. me with that, um, but so they start kind of freaking out, and they go to Ma- uh, Faye's house because. Um, no one's ever called her back about her little sister, Maddie, who the babysitter was there and the babysitter's not in the house. Like, where the fuck is the babysitter? And so they go in and grab Maddie and she's kind of freaking out and their friends are trying to give them a ride, but they're, the, this frequency comes on the radio as they're driving um, to tape record what's going on because they keep getting all the calls and they keep hearing that everyone's going out to out of town and their friend ends up like falling asleep at the wheel but yeah no no so they so what happens i'm so sorry i don't mean to contradict um so this he starts talking end, but... yeah he's talking about how mabel is speaking the language. He's like she speaks. Oh this yeah, thing. no, he said the words. Yeah, yes, they played the words that they played the words that Mabel says, and it's like because she was like, you know, when I told my son them, he went into a trance, and they're playing the words, and it's like, uh, I think his name is Gerald, Gerald, and uh, Birdie. They go into a trance, and it's fucking terrifying because they just like kind of yeah. just stop and just look up ahead, and naturally, face screaming. The car is, like, careering into the other lane. And it's literally terrifying. So, yeah, but it's almost like the words yeah. send them into a trance. Yes. And so then they get, This is what upset me. Is they're, like, they get out of the car and start running. But, like, Birdie's, like, no, guys, like, we'll drive you back. We're, and the guy's, like, apologizing. and But Faye's, like, freaking out. And they're just running through. And they're running through these woods. And they come out to this clearing. And they look up. And, honestly, I'm glad they showed it. I'm sure some people aren't, but there's a fucking saucer. And actually, it must have been, like, it looks like a practical effect. I don't know how they did it, 
Um, but it looks really good. Um, I'm glad they did a physical effect because um, if they had done like CGI, I think it would have looked really weird. It was like cold chilling. Did you get like cold yeah. chills? I got cold chills. It was cool. I loved it. it I was actually so... got it. I was like, this is cool. And the music was really good with yes. it. And I was like, oh my. Yes. Um, like because they literally ever looks behind them and it's almost like seeing a fucking deer in the clearing. Because it's just, like, there. It's silent. And it just, like, it almost like it notices it looking at it. Because the lights just slowly get a little brighter. Like, I loved it. I was like, they could have ruined this scene. Yeah. And they nailed it But instead. honestly, honestly, it's terrifying. Because yeah. alien abductions terrify me. Yeah. I, I almost wish they had left the ending a little more open-ended. But I like that they stuck with their guns. Because basically, like, we see the ship we don't then it kind of cuts away and there's some shots of the town and then the next time you see the field it's just where the all three of them were standing and their radio equipment and they are nowhere to be seen yeah so unfortunately they've been abducted um or obliterated because there was some sand and i was like i really hope they didn't get murdered yeah if you get abducted there's always a chance that they're gonna let you go you know Exactly. Like they're just gonna probe you and then let you go. But also, she had her little baby sister, and it's just sad because like she thinks she's protecting her, but really now they're all in danger. And her poor mom, who's a single mom who works nights, and she's gonna come home and all of her kids are gone. And yeah, it just makes I don't know. Like I shouldn't be this affected by this Twilight Zone episode, but I really like did not like that was the ending but i thought it was a good ending i think that's like, a I testimony like it, but it was good i think that's a testimony to this world though is that you do feel sympathy for these characters and you even feel sympathy for her mother you don't meet her mother but you know enough about Faye to know that like there's not a dad involved and like she even she loves her sister so much that she's like i can't move until maddie gets older so there's a very strong sense of family just even with those couple yeah. sentences of dialogue um, and I think that's, that think that's amazing. Cause yeah, that was one of my first thoughts too. I was like, oh my God, their poor mom. I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. It's not fun, but it's, it's a cool movie. And then like, and then they end and like everyone just comes out of the basketball game, which is sad. Cause at some point one of them says like, you mark my words, no one's going to be left of that basketball game because they assume that the aliens are going to abduct the large group of people. But no, they abduct the people that are alone, and it's sad. Which Mabel even also, warns again. What Mabel yeah. even warns that she's like they like people alone. She's like they like it when people are gathered in groups because then they go after the people that are alone. Like she, it literally. But the only thing I didn't like is that we really don't know during the events of the movies. Of course, Mabel views them as ominous because they abducted her son, but we don't really know if they're ominous or not because we don't really know anything yeah, we about don't. them. Yeah. We do know the government took one of their ships and hid it, so maybe they're just trying to find their ship. Yeah. You know, you never know. That's the thing is, like, you know, there is the Independence Day aliens that are assholes. Um, But, you know, it could be, like, friendly. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of feel like if there are aliens, if there's life elsewhere, they're probably not super violent because I feel like they would have attacked us at this point. Yeah. If they're capable of interstellar travel, they probably would have. I mean, I feel at this point they're just kind of like, I don't know. I don't really feel like fucking with them. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're where we're at technologically wise, though. 
you know, we can all hope for a Star Trek future where everyone gets along. Yeah. And it's the Federation. Or, except for the Borg. The Borg just wants to assimilate you. I don't know that much about Star Trek, but my dad's a big Trekkie. So, I know just enough to get references, but not enough to, like, really know what I'm talking about. So I know Trebles. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but, yeah. So, Star Trek. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how the movie ends. It it's, is. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a sad ending, but it's also, like, it's a TV show, so maybe it's not so sad. Who knows? I like to think of it as ambiguous, yeah. Like, it's, like, it depends on how you want to look at it, and I think that's what I like about it being open, like, an open ending. It's, like, we can think that, like, they were obliterated. If you want to believe they're ominous, then we can believe they're ominous. If you want to think that maybe there's something hopeful, like, they took them and they're gonna be friends i don't know you can think of it as hopeful i think that the great thing about the movie is that it doesn't lean towards one direction and that's what i really really liked about it too yeah i agree i think like it's 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 just presenting a story Mm -hmm. it doesn't really give anything super concrete it doesn't sway on your emotions too much it's just presenting a story and you can believe whatever you want to believe in that story and um yeah it's good though i really liked it i think it's got a lot of style i think it's cute um i think if you're a big fan of like old time movies or the twilight zone or like alien abduction stories i think you would like that i think if you know a little bit about ufos and like that scene i think you will definitely enjoy it yeah um, yeah, it's a, I think if you know anything about UFOs or if that at all interests you, I think this would be a good one for you. I also just think it's it's 90 minutes, it's short, and supports some independent creators by watching it. I won't say it's not my absolute favorite we've done, but I liked it. But again, I think because alien abductions do kind of spook me. Yeah. Like, I'm never going to love an alien abduction movie. I'm always going to be like, eh, eh. I, I prefer the ones that are like action movies where like, or, like, comedy movies, like Mars Attacks or Independence Day. You know? Yeah. Like, those are more of the alien movies I prefer just because, like, there's something to distract me from the existential dread of something abducting me from yes. my world. Yes. So. I, can, I can get that. But I it, mean, that's a good spoopy movie. It's one of my favorites. I think it's really hard for me to pick a favorite uh, GGP movie just because I, I think it depends on how my mood is. Um but I would say absolutely this is one of my favorite ones we've done because it was so different. Um, one we this is the first time we did like more of a alien. Oh, well, actually not the first because Under the Skin is technically alien. But I think this was, I think yeah. it's the first time we did this like a small town, like something that's kind of set in a small like, town, a small scale movie, and like like quintessential like yeah. Americana kind of alien like UFO, which. Apparently, there are UFOs. Which, duh, we know there are UFOs. Duh. (laughs) My parents have a lot of UFO stories. But there was, like, an Air Force base where they grew up. Yeah. My dad and my uncle saw something in above their house when they were kids. And it happened a lot. And, but, like, my mom said she lived in a different part of that area too like she lived in the suburbs and he lived out in the country and she also saw it in a different part around the same time and they didn't know each other back then so it is weird i don't know if it was just the 70s 
But uh, the 70s had a lot, and the 80s had a lot of people, like, seeing things. Yeah. But also, like, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just a weather balloon. That's what a lot of people, like, my parents have always been like, it could be just an experimental plane. We're not really sure. Do I want to believe it's aliens? Yes. Yeah. Do I absolutely believe? No. My parents are healthy skeptics. Uh, yeah. But, um, no, did you have, was there anything you didn't like about this movie? Um, the only thing I, I, like you said earlier, I wasn't like, I, I like the plot device of it being kind of filmed in the Paradox Feeder. I would agree, particularly, I think there's a scene in the middle of the movie where Faye's running to the library that did feel kind of out of place to use it. Um, so I would agree with that. Um, my only other kind of quip was because the dialogue, I think they were trying to nail the dialogue of the 1950s. The beginning of the movie is very, very hard to understand what the actors are saying. Um, that may not be for everyone. That may be my gripe because I do have some kind of like I do have like hearing issues. Um, but it got better as the movie went along. Like when Billy and Mabel yeah. are talking, I have no issues at all hearing what they're saying. So, yeah, it's kind of corny at the beginning, but I think they're trying to set a tone. And yeah. then once the tone set, it gets better. Um, I will say, I do feel like Mabel's speech lulls quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, until she has, she talks about her son. I was kind of like, what is she talking about? Like, yeah. I completely forgot the thing about the lady and the train because, like, I just kind of zoned out because it was just like, okay. Now, the, the woman did a good job. I just think the way, it was so dark where they were filming it. Yeah, You couldn't really see anything that it was kind of like, just, I don't know, a little boring. Um, but generally, I think I, I have no complaints about performances yes. or anything like that. I think it was a really good, well-made movie. Um, do you have a rating for this out of 10? I, I am. I'm going to have to give it 8.5. Um, I think for me, it actually veered pretty close to a 9. I think those are the most minor gripes I have. I think this was a unusually brilliant film for such a unknown director, actor, actors um i loved it i thought the cinematography was great i thought the directing was great i thought the screenplay was and story were interesting so yeah i think it was a very solid film um and i'm just really excited to see what these people do in the future so did you have a rating and then a grindhouse rating i did i had i got gave it a 7.5 because i really liked it i don't think it's quite my bag okay but i really really liked it and i think it's really well made um, I think I would have liked to get to know maybe one or two more characters, but I think for what it is, it's brilliant. I really, 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 really like it. Um, but I don't think everyone will like it because I think, I feel like it's one of those movies, like, if you like sci-fi stuff and you like retro stuff, right up your alley. But I feel like if you're not so much into it, you'd probably be like, this is boring. Yeah. I don't think it's boring, but I feel like it borders on maybe being kind of niche. Um, but I have, it's gotten a lot of really good reviews from a lot of different, um, reviewers. So, you know, I think the general consensus is that it's a good movie. So, I'm, I'm glad. And I, I want to see more from this director. I want to see him expand. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say I'm blown away like an Ari Aster, um, Robert Eggers mm-hmm. movie. But I, I am very much impressed. I would say this is like, um, like, um, oh, shit. What was that movie? relic like that kind of oh, like yeah. feeling like like good first step i want to see what you do next time like i'm excited yeah because there's a lot of promise there 
Um, because I really want to see this B movie. I feel like that'd be interesting. Um, what if he names it B movie? Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> but it's not B movie. But it's not B movie. That would be pretty funny. Everyone's like the Jerry Seinfeld one. That's terrible. Where doesn't a woman fall in love with Jerry Seinfeld as a bee? I Isn't think I've read that. Movie? I think I've read that, but I don't know for sure because I haven't seen it. The only thing I know about it is yeah. like what I've heard other people say about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really, yeah. Oh, my God. But I can't wait to see it. Um, I did have some Grindhouse Girls rating. Yay! Um, this one's a throwaway one, but it was a line from the movie. Rated D for double dealing devil dogs. Oh! She says it at one point. And then um, rated R for rogue radio frequencies and radiant lights. Ooh, nice. I I had, um, you're going to laugh at mine, I had uh, rated S for squirrels and signals. Um, I also had it rated um, B for Billy and Mabel to serve better. Aww. Yeah. So, but I figured the only reason we can't use that one is because it's kind of spoiler-ish. So it's a bit of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which one do you want to go with? What's the R one again? Rogue radio frequencies and radiant lights. I like I that. I could just say rogue radios. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Plus it's a rated R. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's take a pause to um Oh, wait, you know what we haven't done in a really long time? What? Is is it scary, spoopy, or strange? Oh, I was... We, we keep forgetting to do that. Oh, uh, probably more strange. Maybe a little bit spoopy, but I would say strange. I would say strange. Yeah. It's a strange one. In a good way. Yeah. Okay, so... It is time... Is that time again? Time yes. to pick a new movie? Um, we had to pause because I just had a bunch of ideas that, again, weren't streaming <laughs> um, or that we both didn't have yes. access to. Um, but there is this movie that I have been hearing a lot of buzz about that's supposed to be funny and really gross. And um, it is called Psycho Goreman. And it is streaming now on Shudder. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of really good buzz about it. I've heard it's really fun and campy. Um, and it's kind of like Stranger's Things, like, like kind of a send off to like 80s monster movies. And I think there's something to do with aliens too. So just to tie back into this week's episode, um, and it's streaming on Shudder and it looks visually pretty cool. And apparently there's child actors in it, but they're good. Okay. So (laughs) my other, my other choices were very depressing and we decided to not do something super depressing. Do something fun. Because Jennifer's body... Thanks for all the feedback, oh, yeah. by the way, guys, on Jennifer's body. Um, like, y'all were so receptive to not just the artwork, but, like, just the episode um, stuff. And we got a bunch of new followers. And I am I love that movie. I'm glad people love it, too. Um, and I think everyone was really excited about it. It helps that there's a lot of stuff to talk about yes. with Jennifer's body. Because um, it's very interesting uh, stuff surrounding that movie. Um, so definitely, uh, make sure you listen to that episode too. Um, and so I guess the first week of July, we'll see you guys with Psycho, or second week of July, we'll see you guys for Psycho Gorman. Um, Gizmo's here to say goodnight to y'all. Uh, Dr. Pogo's in the background waiting to say goodnight. Other side. <laughs> yes, Britt. 
and candy. Right Sitting like a little Dr. Pogo, Canada, Mabel, and Interior's right there, too. And then Riley, the baby gate's up, but he's oh, staring at me for the baby gate. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, my sweet baby. Um, but so we're about to go to bed. All the puppies and kitties went to go to sleep, so we yes. get to, go to sleep too. Um, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening, liking, and subscribing. Um, make sure you get vaccinated if you're able. Um, and if you're not, wear a mask. And make sure you take some vitamins and wash your hands and be good to everybody. And love, love your puppies. puppies. Um, guys, this is a reminder. As per please. week weekly, um, please drink your water. Take a hydration shot right now. Shot, shot, shots. Um, as we had state shot, 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 shots. Shot, as shot, we stated shot. earlier in the episode, it is Fourth of July weekend. Please secure those for our babies. Don't leave them out overnight. Don't leave them out while there's fireworks. I think this one will be yes. after oh, that. Oh, shit. I think this Damn it. After that. Damn it. So. But we hope that you yes, did that to you. If nothing else, prepare for next year. Go ahead and get the microchip and ID, please. So. Yes. 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 As always, since now, um, Gizmo is getting tired as well. Um, thank you guys again for always supporting us, listening to us, commenting, liking. As always, subscribe, share. We appreciate. Thank you so much from your Friendly Neighborhood podcast. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. And as always, we look forward to seeing you um, next time. Same time, same spoopy channel. Stay, Stay spoopy, y'all. Bye. Bye. Night, Katie. Bye. I love you guys. Be safe. Night. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.